Would you turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the book of Acts, the 16th chapter. You follow along and you know where we are and where we're going. You recall last week, Mother's Day, we made mention that through a dear woman by the name of Lydia, she must have been quite an entrepreneur. She must have been a very good businesswoman. She had her own home. She sold purple fabrics, which in and of itself tells you that she was like if she was a a car dealer, she would be selling top-end type of cars, I guess you say, or homes, top-end homes, or I don't know. Um, But she was very well-to-do. And of all the people that the Lord God used to start the church in Philippi was her, Lydia. She and her household, her, her family started the church. Well, whenever... Whenever the Word of God starts anywhere and becomes successful, by that I mean wherever there is an attempt to teach and to preach the Word of God, Satan will become uneasy and try to attack that message and attack that that process. Let me remind you, turn back with me to chapter 8 for just a moment. When Philip went to Samaria, one of the first things that he had to confront was a man named Simon. In chapter 8, starting with verse 9, it said, There was a certain man named Simon. He formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And all of them, from smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. They were attributing to him deity. It says they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. Philip had to stop that movement when he presented the gospel there in Samaria. When Barnabas and Saul, before he was named Paul, went to Cyprus. Look at chapter 13 now on your way back to chapter 16. Stop in chapter 13. When Barnabas and Paul came and preached the gospel in Cyprus, they also had opposition. Starting with verse 6, it says, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for thus his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And so, as soon as the gospel was presented in these communities, there became a clash between darkness and light, between good and evil. Satan... His desire is to infiltrate the church. He would like to stop it before it begins, but if it begins, he wants to infiltrate the church with untruths, with false doctrine. He does it subtly sometimes from within. He will bring people who want to get infiltrated into the church to start teaching, even though they might oppose what is being taught. If he does not have success that way, he will then try to stop the church through intimidation or persecution. That comes from normally outside. Whether it be 
false doctrine, whether it be persecution. What happened in the early church was totally unsuccessful because the people held fast to the word of God and the promises of God. They understood what God was promising them. They understood what was called upon them beyond just the pure, wonderful joy of salvation. They knew that there was a ministry for them. They knew there were others that needed to know what they knew, just as you and I know, just as we cannot stand fast in the fact that we're saved. We die today. We're going to heaven. What more is there? There's a lot more. There are other people that that God has chosen by His grace to use you and me to reach for the cause of Christ so that they will not have to experience the very torment of hell, but have heaven itself. And so these people understood that. And so the untruths that were coming their way and the and the persecution and intimidation that came their way did not stop them. In fact, as we have learned, in every case, they only became stronger because of it. Well, here in Philippi, the same thing is about to happen. But what I want you to do today is to look at the subtleties of what is about to take place. If you will note, in the 17th verse, now Acts chapter 16, this I don't know. I keep saying, because I wrote it down, this sweet, young, demon-possessed girl. Um, she, for some reason, I have a sense that, that she was duped, and, and, and all of a sudden, here she is in this, this, this downward spiral of being a fortune teller and, and, and earning money for these guys who were her master. She is following Paul and the rest of them, and she is proclaiming, in verse 17, she says, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. I ask you something. What is untruthful? What is wrong with what she is saying? You can find nothing wrong with it. Yet it says in the next verse, I believe verse 18, we'll read it in a moment. It says that Paul finally became annoyed at what she was saying and stopped her and commanded that demon, that, that, that spirit out of her. Why did he stop her? She was telling the people the truth. I sat down and I contemplated this place in Scripture and I thought and I thought and I thought, what's going on here? Okay, yes, she's got a spirit of, 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 of evil in her, a, a devil's spirit, so to speak. Um, and, and she's proclaiming, though, the truth. She is saying exactly what is right. They were bondservants of the Most High God. They were proclaiming to the people the way of salvation. Why did Paul stop her? And it dawned on me exactly what we've been learning. There is an order in which... The church was to be established, and she was out of order. She was not the source that was to tell the people the way of God, because who know, who knew what she might be saying tomorrow? And why give her the credibility that, that yes, she's saying the truth, but now I'm going to have to correct her tomorrow when there are some people that maybe will follow her for what she is saying? And it is just what we have been learning all along. 
Jesus Christ gave to the apostles direct orders on how to establish the church. It is to be established by the teaching of the apostles. Plain and simple. They're the ones to establish what is to be said, what is to be taught. After that, Peter says, we want a church that are con- people filled with people who are continually devoted to the things of God, fellowship with one another so that we encourage one another. Where else are we going to get as much encouragement than here? Hopefully nowhere. Uh, hopefully, well, that was a bad statement. Hopefully you're home and other places. That was very stupid of me. But this ought to be one place that we really encourage one another to have fellowship. That we would have communion so that if there is something within my heart or your heart that's not quite right with the Lord, we can go to Him and ask Him for forgiveness and remember what He has done for us at the cross and what He did for us by shedding His blood so that we would remember those things and we might cleanse ourselves from sin through communion. And lastly, to pray for one another. And so the church has order. It's not brain surgery. It can be figured it could be figured out if you just look and don't have a, a hidden agenda of what you want to do in church to make the church all about whomever, about our denomination or about our rules or or about us. It's not. It's all about Him. Church is all about our Lord. And the only way it can truly be purely about our Lord is when you and I understand and try to explain to one another the things of God through the Word of God. This is the only way that you and I will know what is right and what is wrong. And so Paul stops this this sweet young girl, in my opinion, I don't know. He stops her dead in her tracks. Actually was annoyed with her so that she would stop saying these things. With that in mind... Let's take a look what ta- what took place, actually, so that you can follow along right with me and, and hold me to preaching just what the Bible says, not what I want it to say. Verse 16, and we'll read to where Paul and Silas get thrown in jail. May I say to you this, um, in case I forget, if you have a friend, a loved one, someone that says, you know, um, yeah, I might come to your church someday, you know. And you want to ask them, next week might be a perfect time. Because when when Paul and Silas get thrown into the prison, in the very innermost part of the prison, in stocks, folks, I studied a little bit about what that meant. They were beaten with rods, then they were put in stocks. And stocks were designed to, to spread your legs as wide as it could, and then they attached your feet through these the holes in the, in the stocks, and they would sit you in that very terribly uncomfortable position, and oftentimes they would also put your hands in there so that you were doubled over. And what are Paul and Silas doing? They're singing praises. Now I know why he took Silas and not someone like me. While Paul would have been singing, I would say, well, thanks a lot, Paul. There you go, singing. You brought me here to Philippi to, to sit in jail. Nice going. Thank you, by the way, also, God. And I'd have been complaining my head off. But not Silas and Paul. They were worshiping God, thanking him. And we're going to learn next week that God's not going to hold you nor me in any place that he doesn't want us for a second longer than he wants us there. And we're also going to learn when the jailer, who would have been dead 
had Paul and Silas escaped and he was about to kill himself and Paul says, don't do yourself any harm. And when Paul talked to him, the jailer said to him, I think it's in verse 20 or 30, it uh, doesn't matter, it's right there somewhere, you'll see it. He says to Paul, sir, what must I do to be saved? I want to be like you. And we'll talk about that next week. But sufficient that we took a, take a look at this this this, um, this slave girl who had a spirit of divination and she fortune she told people's fortunes and she was bringing her masters in a lot of money watch verse 16 it happened as we were going to a place of prayer a certain slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Verse 18 says, She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. Turn and said to the Spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Verse 19 says, when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. And they're proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. Verse 22 tells us the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them, proceeded and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet, their feet in the stocks. I'll talk to you more about that part of it next week. But this week, let's take a look at this servant girl. And why Paul stops her? Let's pray. First of all, Father, we want to thank you for the prayer of Bill and, um, and for his kindness and his ministry here. And I thank you, Father, for each person. Each of us have a, a place here. Each of us have a, a niche, Father, that we, we can um, be a part of what you're doing here. We've had the blessings of seeing and being in this place for a year, this building that you have given us. And we thank you for it from the bottom of our hearts. And pray, Father, that you have great, great things ahead of us. Great things that we can pass along to the next generation that follows after us should you tarry and not come. Father, that we could pass along to them the things that we have learned from those before us who have learned from those before them and reaches back to your wonderful apostles who taught what the church ought to be like and we ought to emulate it, Father. We really ought to. Every church ought to. And so, Lord, would you please open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our thoughts so that we might behold wonderful things from your most precious law, the Bible. Would you move me aside, please, dear Father, and allow, Father, us to not take notice of the speaker so much as what was written so that we could kind of glean, Father, kind of understand what you want from each of us and what you ask of us, Father, as believers. Thank you for your most glorious word. We, we catch so much of an insight to you 
through it, Father. May you continue to teach us, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I've already said to you what I was going to say to you. First and foremost, what this young girl was saying was completely true. She said, these guys, these men who are here in our community, they're bondservants. That's what Paul called himself. They are bondservants of the Most High God. And they're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. I mean, what a message. She is saying what is exactly true. Now, you need to know, when, when Paul and Silas and, and, and Timothy and Luke, when they went to Philippi, it wasn't like they were going to Samaria. It wasn't like they were going to other places where there was a, a, an established Jewish uh, uh, group of people who knew and worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they knew innately that one day God was going to send a Messiah. And so for them to comprehend that this is going to take place or that it took place through Jesus Christ, they had kind of a start with these guys, the Jewish people. Not so much here in Philippi. These people are worshiping any sorts of gods and have no clue of what's going on. So when she is saying... These guys are bondservants of the Most High God. She is, in essence, saying, these are the ones who are worshiping God of very God, who will give to you the way of salvation. But what takes place is astonishing to me, or it was, Paul stopped her, dead in the track, even though what she was saying was truthful. And I've come to conclude it was because what she was doing, she was doing for the wrong reason. It wasn't the order in which the church was to be founded. Truth, true, uh, no, God's truth was to be founded upon the apostles' teaching. In other words, what Paul is going to say, what Silas was going to say, what Timothy would say, what Luke would say, not what this person over here was going to say. Not some other source, no matter how true it might be of what they are saying. It was not supposed to be founded upon them. Church, there is a right and a wrong way to do church. And it's not brain surgery. You can figure it out if you allow the Spirit of God to teach you how do you do church. Even if and when a person is teaching the truth, there still ought to be order that is followed within the body of Christ. And Paul does not wish to establish the church in Philippi upon what this person is saying. For instance, Paul must have thought, enough already. Who knows what she might be saying tomorrow? And if we give her credibility today, then then how do we take away the credibility that she has tomorrow? And you need to know that Satan will use a little truth to ensnare people into a false system of religion. It is commonplace. Cults have all based themselves on a little bit of truth. A lot of denominations, a lot of Religious beliefs have established themselves on a little bit of truth, and then they float away from it. Even established 
so-called Christian churches have, have allowing themselves to float away from the very essence of the Word of God by telling the congregation, listen, here's our plan. We're getting a lot of visitors. Don't bring your Bible. We won't preach out of the Bible because it'll be intimidation to them. I mean, you know, we'll ask them to turn. We'll ask them to. Turn, we'll ask them to turn to Galatians, and they won't know where Galatians is, and it'll make them uncomfortable when you flip to Galatians. And so don't bring your Bible. We'll just put some notes up on the board, and we'll just wing it. They don't say maybe wing it, but then that church is is going to be built upon the very essence of what the pastor wants to say that day. And who knows whether he is preaching the truth or not without the Word of God to confirm what he is preaching. So we can't do that. We do not have the right to become what God doesn't want us to become. We must preach this so that you can hold me accountable. We must do that. Here's another thing. What was her motive? Well, here's this woman, and I don't believe, I don't know, but maybe she didn't even have a clue that she was being used by Satan. I think that happens a lot. I think there are a lot of people out there that that are spouting out things that that they have no idea how how much it is against the very essence of God. I tell you that I like to watch certain television programs that have debates and stuff like that. There's been this guy that's been on television I have now seen twice. I don't remember his name. He's an Englishman. He wrote a book called God is Not So Great. That's the only thing I can remember about him. He's a, he's a, he, he proclaims to be a, an atheist's atheist. And he just blasphemed Jerry Faldwell. And was so happy that he's dead. And he just raked him over the coal saying that he is now burning, he said, in a hell that he said others were going to go to. Which made me stop and think, wait a minute, wait one minute, time out. You say you're an atheist, what's this hell you've uh, conjured up? Where is it? And... Who chooses the Jerry Falwell goes there? Is it because he spewed hatred? You seem to hate Jerry Falwell. Uh, you go in there too? I wanted to ask him all those questions. Not only he said this, but another commentator I heard just raked Jerry Falwell over the coals, saying, great that he's dead. It's a great, it's a help to the, the movement of, of different groups in America that Someone as hateful as Jerry Falwell now is dead. And some people are used by Satan, and they, I don't think they have a clue. And I don't think this young girl did. Her motive was, was given to her by her masters, as it says. Look at verse 19. It says, when her masters saw, after Paul, this, I'm, I'm adding this, please let me just add this. Paul now has commanded the demon out of her. Verse 19, when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. Paul cast the demon out of this young girl in the name of Jesus Christ, and this immediately dried up their profit of her fortune-telling. 
I, I, I come to understand this, being in the ministry a little bit. If you touch a person's pocketbook, you really begin to make them move and squirm. Uh, and move, these men did. They turned against Paul, and they turned against his group immediately. It's interesting, though, the only two people who were thrown in prison were Paul and Silas. Not Timothy, not Luke, it says. You know how to make people squirm in church? I'll tell you exactly how. Tell the people about their sinful nature. Tell a person that that you are by nature a sinner, and until you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to go to hell. Ooh, makes people squirm. You know, you tell someone that that's not a believer, and they immediately say, who are you? Who are you? I've seen you. I've seen the way you live. I've seen the way you drive. You're worse than me. Who are you to tell me I'm going to hell? And they miss understand it's not me that they're supposed to be compared to nor is it you that you're supposed to be compared to it's it's jesus christ he's perfect and he wants to give you everlasting life but you want to make people squirm tell them about their sin nature the other way which is bona fide is tell people you're going to do a series on giving i'm going to teach on tithing for the next three weeks i've seen family take family vacations for those three weeks. Just just get out of town for three weeks, you know. <laughs> Thanks, Scotty. It's true, you know. They don't want you to mess with their pocketbook. And I, <laughs> I know. And, and I'll tell you how I know that to be so true is my father. My father, who never never went to church much. When, we were, when I was young, we were not raised, I wasn't raised in a, a very religious home. Moral? I don't know anybody more moral than my father. I, you could trust my dad. If he said he was going to be somewhere, you can trust he would be there. He was a man of great morals, but he didn't go to church much. But every time he heard anybody on the radio preach for, and ask for money, he'd get so mad at them. And I'd think to myself, why are you mad? You're not going to go there and give money. <laughs> didn't never say that to my dad. Even though he was only about 5'8", man, I would not mess with my daddy. But you want to make people squirm, it's to talk about money. Don't mess with the person's pocketbook. And so these two masters of this young girl have Paul and Silas thrown into jail. In verse 19, it says, Her masters, faced with the loss of this slave girl's fortune-telling ability and her profits, they became furious, furious with these guys. Never mind the fact that Paul and Silas were speaking the truth about eternal life. Even their their demon-possessed slave girl was confessing that. These guys are bond servants of the Most High God. They're, they're telling you the way of salvation. No way. Don't We don't care. Never mind that this dear young girl, again I say dear young girl, I don't know, this poor slave girl had been delivered from an awful, terrible experience. They didn't care. All that they cared about was that their profit line was going south. She no longer was going to make money for them. You see, Satan wanted with every fiber of his being to stop the church in Europe before it got established. And he tried by having this young girl even talk correctly about the things of Christ so as hopefully to move the people away from the order that God has established for the church to function through the teaching of the apostles. 
And so when Paul cast this demon out of her, Satan then did what he would always do, and that is to cause persecution, intimidation, to eliminate the believers. So he throws them, or has them, thrown into jail. Now how these these two uh, masters of this slave girl, how they got the people so incited, I'm not sure, except that we get a little bit of clue from a verse. But there are always two avenues for Satan to attack. Make note of it. He will infiltrate the church. He will bring people into the church, and once they get established from within, they can then teach some doctrines that the church teaches, but they're not right on. Let me teach you the right way. We have people that come here and and want to get involved in, in, in being Bible study group leaders. And we say, you bet you can in a year. Let's watch for a year and see how you're doing. See how you're growing in the Lord in our church and before you get involved in being a leader. If that doesn't happen, if the infiltration from within doesn't happen, then persecution from without will happen. And what is their complaint? What got the people so riled up? Look at verse 20. All they said was, these men are throwing our city into confusion. Note, being Jews. This anti-Semitic charge is not a a modern phenomenon that we we know is here today. There has always been this anti-Semitic feeling against the Jews. In in Acts chapter 18, verse 2, the emperor was Claudius. He ordered that all of the Jews be expelled from Rome. In 18, chapter 18, verse 2, it says, He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all of the Jews to leave Rome. So that is why, basically, we don't see Timothy and Luke in prison with Paul and Silas. Timothy was half Jewish. Luke was not. Paul and Silas were Jews. Therefore, verse 21 becomes a convenient lie. Back in chapter 16, verse 21, it wasn't confusion within the city that they were worried about. It was the loss of their profit from this girl. So instead of a trial, in verses 22, 23, and 24, which we'll talk more about next week, the people rose up against Paul and Silas. They had them beaten with rods. They had them thrown into jail, not just jail, but in the innermost sanction of the jail, and they put their feet in stocks, which we will see. Look at verse 37. They had no idea. See, they should have given Paul and Silas they should have given them a, a trial. What they should have done was, was investigate. They didn't know that Paul and Silas were both Roman citizens, which meant that they had no right to put them, on tri- or put them in jail without a trial, and they had no right to beat them. And so when they say in verse 36, at the end of it, the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, Hey, the chief magistrates have sent a release to you. Go. Go in peace. Paul says, not on your life. No, no, no. Look what he says in verse 37. Paul said to them, they have beaten us in public without a trial. Men who are Romans. 
They've thrown us into prison, and now they're going to send us away secretly? Uh, uh, I don't think so. Let them come themselves and bring us out. I love Paul. He was a feisty guy, man. He was going to put them through the ringer just like they put him through the ringer. Folks, there is order within the church. Make no mistake about it. You and I can find that order. We've found it, in my opinion. It is built upon the apostles' teaching. It is built upon fellowship with one another. It is built upon communion and prayer. And we cannot stray from the teaching of the Word of God through the apostles. And Paul becomes irate, annoyed, it says, at this, at this young girl who is saying the correct things, but he, he stops her because she wasn't doing it in the order in which God had established or wanted to establish the church. And so Paul stops her dead in her tracks. I think you should be very comforted that this church is built upon, and you, you desire it, built upon the Word of God. Not upon what we think. This church is absolutely, it's a wonderful place, but it's meaningless. Let's face it. The only thing that is important about this church is that we worship Jesus Christ and He alone. And Jesus Christ and He alone can give you salvation and He wants to do it as a free gift if you just believe in Him. Next week, if you have a friend, if you have someone that, that perhaps needs to hear this message of salvation... As this, as this uh, jailer asks Paul, what must I do to be saved? We're going to talk about that next week. We might even have a chance where uh, if we don't come forward, we'll do something. We'll have a, a time in church where we'll have like a, a, just a down-home evangelistic meeting of coming to Christ and, and, and leaving our cares behind us here in this church, asking the Lord to forgive us. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what we learn from the Word of God, how even though this young girl was saying the correct things about these men, Paul stopped her because he was annoyed. It was obvious, Father, to me that he was annoyed because she was out of order, even though she was saying truth. Father, there is an order within the family of God. There is an order of how we are to study your Word and to understand and know it. Lord, thank you for this place. Thank you for the year celebration that we had in this building. May there be many more, Father God. Not for our glory, but for yours. May there be years and years ahead of us, Father, should you tarry and not come back soon, that we might pass along to the students who are in the other section of this dear building that you've given us, dear Father, so that we can pass along to them the very truths that you have given to us that has come down from generation, from generation, from generation, from the apostles, so that we hold them in our laps right now. And we can pass it along to those people who come after us. And this church would be established, dear Father, upon your word. Now, thank you for every person here. Bless them all. Bless them, Father, please. And um, let us have a very joyful day rejoicing in who you are and coming back next week, Father, so that we can hear more about your grace and your kindness and and all about salvation. Father, in Jesus' most precious name, amen. Love you guys so much. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great, great, great day. Love you more than I can tell you. Thanks, man. Thank you so much.